The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Good evening, Brent. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your evil mind? Oh, you insulting tongue and mock my words well. How about this woman that you are leaving higher Mr. Stark? Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host for tonight, Roddy Cat, whose um, webcam is really trying to give him some fits right about now. But if you're not watching the video, you don't see that. And with me tonight, we have the man behind the soundboard, uh, our man in New York, the, the chillest dude in, in the in the area. At least that's as far as I know. Ha! Underscore 70. What's up, everybody? And tonight, we have a, a very special guest. Um, he is... You might as well say he's a jack of all trades, but you, during the, for the course of this conversation, he is a comic book writer. He is a, a music artist. He is a director. He's I don't know. He might run for president after in, in a little while. We don't we don't know this, but uh, he you might know his work from uh, Top Cow's Postal, Rambles, uh, DC's uh, Wild Michael pray while so why am i tripping right about now but uh black lightning hong kong fooey detective comics is the the current thing he's writing right now he also is writing the upcoming batman and the outsiders miniseries he's uh, also the what if x-men uh upcoming one shot and he also did uh, the spider-man annual the Morales spider-man annual recently mr brian edward hill hey how's everybody doing Y'all had that Charlemagne beat on your opening, man. Y'all sound like you want me to rap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, look, if you got some bars in you, we won't stop you. That's oh, like, no, next time. Next time. I'm going to be like Drake. I got to have a written on the phone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We got jokes in the house tonight. But yes, we are we are happy to have have you here tonight, sir. We appreciate it. We uh we were, you were supposed to be on last week, but you know had some had some um, issues. Well, not even issues. You had a meeting. I didn't have any issues. I had issues. I was late. You had a meeting. I did. Uh, I did. Yes. To which I hope was fruitful. Yeah, you know, getting there. It takes about like ten meetings to to get to the dollars. <laughs> oh, so, you know, you got to stack them up. Right, so I guess the first question would be, um, can you talk about what that meeting was about? Or is it still kind of up in the air? No, I can't talk about it yet. Um, I'm on I'm on a cone of silence. I got a lot of things going on. Uh, so uh, a lot of announcements are going to hit, I think, for uh, 2019 um, real soon. But right now, I have to kind of keep it on the down low because people get a little, you know, they, they feel away when you start talking about your business in some some specific detail. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, all right. Well, then we will get into it. Like I said, uh, you got you want to start off with a question, Agent uh, Seventy? Sure. Um, I wanted to just touch on a couple of things that I think we both have in common. Uh, knowing that you 
uh, are writing Titans. Did you grow up reading the new Teen Titans? Not too much. No actually. kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I I read them about like seven years ago. The Marv Wolfman stuff, right? So right. Wolfman and uh, Yeah, I just I just dug into that about seven years ago. Obviously, before I thought I was going to work on the show. I grew up pretty much a Batman kid, you know. Mm. And so I was like Shadow of the Bat, Legends of the Dark Knight, the Frank Miller works, sure. uh, Grant Morrison, Arkham Asylum. You know, like those were those were my things. I liked the 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 intense uh, uh, graphic novels were really my my jam. Um, but I did I did collect the single issue Batman stuff, a little action comics here and there, Captain America, X Men, Spider Man. Sure. But yeah, the Teen Titans I never really got into, and I'll be I'll be real, like I was never the biggest fan of Robin. Ah, okay. Right? I, it just as a concept, like I personally. Just have a difficulty understanding Robin, uh, and it just seemed like, well, why would he, if he's going to be scary and he wants to use fear as an ally, why would you roll around with a child in a bright costume like that's the antithesis of fear to me, right? Right. It, it seemed like it would just humanize Batman in a way that would just make it more dangerous and also going to put a kid's life at risk. I just never got it. Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I, uh, he just wanted a, a little kid target. So yeah. right, like yeah, like you know, you'll get the bullets. Um, <laughs> so so I was never like a huge fan as a kid, but someone told me like, hey, you should check out this the, the Wolfman Perez stuff because it's really mm-hmm. interesting stuff, like Judas Contract and what have you. Sure. So I uh, I dug into it and really liked the storytelling um, that was that was in it and uh, warmed up to it by looking at uh, Perez and then Wolfman's work there. And then before when I knew I was going to work on the show, I went back again and brush myself up on it because I, I knew i'd be in a room with jeff johns gotcha. and that's like being in a room with wikipedia mm. like that man knows his comic books you know it's it's pretty intense i thought i knew comics i don't i know no no <laughs> that man knows his comic books uh and i wanted to make sure that i was up to speed on on storytelling and the characterization and everything that happened there uh gotcha. but but yeah growing up no nah, i was you know i was a mean weird kid growing up man and and the Titans were just too well adjusted for, for, for your boy. Like, you know, I, I, I think it's a gener- a slightly generational thing because when I came up with it, they had already done a lot of the really dramatic stuff. They hadn't done Judas contract yet, but like, I remember being a kid and my dad picking up stuff and helping me pick out stuff at the newsstand, right. When mm. coming out. So I, you know, I liked it because it was a team book. There was lots of different characters in it and it looked good because it was Perez art. Right, right. I didn't really get, you know, like how well adjusted they were. Um, You know, like uh, that stuff, you know, like a lot of the formative stuff that I kind of like you went back to when I was in college. That's when I filled in my run of uh, Wolfman and Perez Titans. And I just fell in love with it again. And, you know, knowing that, you know, that you're working on a show that's sort of uh, establishing of uh, uh, a cinematic or television version of the Titans. I figured that's where you're drawing on a lot of your inspiration. Oh, uh, for sure. I mean, you know, Jeff, uh, he, you know, we had the trades in the room. You know, there's a shelf just full of that work that we could always go to and read and, and brush up on. And Jeff would always make sure that we were uh, honoring, you know, what had been done in the mm-hmm. comics. And Marv came in one day and we talked to Marv about what we were doing. And that was really cool. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, Jeff is a very good custodian of the lore. You know, gotcha. he's uh, for a guy that just has so many things going on it's accomplished as much as he has 
he really is just, you know, into just making sure that the characters feel like the characters they are. Um, so, yeah, we certainly kept all of that work in mind during right. Titans. And, and, you know, you, you know how much these characters like oh, of course. people, right? So, you know, I, I, and I can't speak for everyone else, um, but I go into a situation like that thinking first about, you know, the people that are into these characters. Right. And making sure that um, doing what I can to make sure they have a good experience, an experience that feels authentic to the characters they love. Because, uh, you know, I, I I know what it's like when you love a thing and then someone comes in and does something and you're like, well, that's not it shouldn't be like that. And it shouldn't sure. feel like that. And it shouldn't do like that. So I wouldn't want to do that to somebody else. Uh, and um, it's it's hard to be anything else but humble, you know, when you look at how good that work was, um, especially back then. You know, like what what you just said kind of kind of broke my heart a little bit because it reminded me of how we all used to access comics when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, newsstand, Seven Eleven, yep, grocery store, right? It was disposable capital. Like you didn't need more than an allowance to follow a couple books a month. Sure, and or even so, if you understood to to follow it a month, yeah, because sometimes you couldn't get to the newsstand. You know, yeah, you couldn't get there, right? Like, it, and it's. It's so hard for people who haven't read comics for a while and don't have like parents that are introducing them to a hobby for a young person just to kind of stumble into it the way I did, you know, sure. um, because we just, we just don't have the price points are different, the retail outlet situation is different, and uh, it's just hard to get young people to try on the medium uh, when it's like five bucks for an issue of a book. Of course, and of then course. you can get you know video game dlc for five bucks right you can get some right. horse armor or whatever it is you need oh, so so <laughs> like obviously i'm the i'm the resident titans fan on the panel and um i just have one more question i'll pass the mic to roddy um yep. and one of the things that i always loved about uh you know the the wolfman perez titans is that we were actually introduced to some characters that have really you know that that have lasted and and and, and stood the test of time I'm talking mm-hmm. about Starfire and B- and well, Beast Boy was already introduced, but um, uh, specifically Cyborg. You know, he's seen a couple of iterations from being on Super Friends to um, to uh, to finding himself on the new, on the the Teen Titans Go um, cartoon and, and and now movie. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to Cyborg, though, you know, without spoiling too much, I'm not 100 percent sure if the character is ever going to appear on Titans. Was it different um, establishing this group of characters without one of, in my opinion, one of the primary drivers of that team um, from its inception? Mm, well, not particularly, um, because if you look at the core group we have, you know, Starfire, uh, Dick Grayson, mm-hmm. Raven, and Gar Logan, right? there's so much story there to unpack with just those characters that uh it it didn't you know it it you don't want to just put a character in anything a show or a book uh, uh, a film without really giving that character something to do somewhere to go you know giving them their own story red meat as it were and i'm again i'm just speaking for myself uh i would rather wait to bring a character into a dynamic until we could really service that character well than to just yeah, you know, they're there, but they're not doing anything, you mm-hmm. know, for four issues or for four episodes or what have you. That doesn't really serve the audience or the character or the actor if you're doing it in live action very well. Right. I thought I saw an announcement the other day that um, uh, Cyborg was going to be on Doom Patrol or something. Yes. Right? That yeah, is. Yeah. Yep. 
so there, I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I know nothing about what the future holds, but you know, you've got a bunch of shows that are on the same network. There, um, there's certainly the potential for cross pollination going on there. Um, you know, Greg Berlanti is one of our executive producers, and he's very familiar with blending story worlds together. So it, I think we'll just have to wait and see on uh, kind of how all of that's going to play out. Sure. Um, but if anyone doesn't see a thing that they wish they saw, doesn't mean they're not going to see it, right? And if anyone sees a thing that they like and hope that, like, you know, adherence to the mythology is going to ruin it, uh, we're not going to discard anything that's going on either. So, it, you know, it's just like... Just I tell everyone to be patient, you know. Sure. Let let the story unfold, uh, and then trust that that Jeff has a vision for this thing, and uh, it's a pretty solid one. Uh oh, we got somebody new. Indeed, hello, hello. we got there he is. returning from a long, from his Timbatico after a long time. We have Tim Dad ninety eight, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Dog's in the house. It's been so long that I've been on that I forgot about the, the background music. <laughs> Brian, thanks for joining us, by the way. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad you could uh, join us from, it looks like San Quentin. Like, what is going on? <laughs> this, is the, this is the office slash uh, nursery. <laughs> right on, right on, man. You know, you got it all. You got the bare wall. Yeah. You're like Hannibal Lecter over there, man. <laughs> oh, there's a, let's see, there's behind me. Actually, I can see why you see it, because I guess maybe you see the bars on the... The, uh, no, no, I just I, see, I, I see like a pillow and like somewhere to lie down and just bare walls, like yeah. like like Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, it's not too much uh, on the walls here. I'm trying. There used to be uh, back when the rest the rest of the desk was here. There used to be a bottle of liquor, which is actually over here now. That was in over here. That just I don't even know why it's in here. I think well, as, as long as it's in eyesight, that's the important. yeah. <laughs> It's not important that I see the liquor. It's important that you can see the liquor. That's what really matters. The question is, how did it wind up in here? Is the real question. <laughs> it's, the, it's the liquor fairy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to find you with the liquor for fairy. Podcasting purposes. Yes. No, you know, it's, like, it's like, you know what? I need to be here. So <laughs> it's good to see you. Like, granted, we, we talked to you, you know, in, in our in our channel a lot. So it was like, like you know, yeah, you've been. Um, but it's been a while since you've been on the show so yeah we've just gotten a uh, little, little bit into um our interview with, with brian so you want to you got any questions for us uh, yeah we've already touched a little bit on titan stuff but feel free to- wait, well, yeah before before you um before you because before you ask the question because i did have one quick question to ask about titans before i forget about it yeah. um because you mentioned earlier that you had the trades in the room Mm-hmm. whatnot is there like a a writer's bible that you guys are going off of off of kind of like you know how batman and the series kind of had one where he's like can't do this can't do that do you do this make sure the character's like this do you have something uh, that- well you no know, i mean we, we don't have this kind of master source document but when you have jeff uh johns in the process you know he's reading every script he's looking sure. at uh every outline for every episode so we just trusted him to tell us if we were veering too far, of course, in one direction or another direction, um, rather than develop a source Bible like you would do for Game of Thrones or something. Uh, you know, it, Jeff is just so fluent in the DC universe that even a Bible would pale in comparison to what Jeff could just tell you verbally. And 
you know, and sometimes you get like big producers who you don't have a lot of access to. You know, they'll they'll float in every now and then, but you can't really work with them and all that. But on this show, between the showrunner Greg Walker, the producers Akiva Goldsman and Jeff Johns, you know, executive producer Greg Berlanti, everybody was super available uh, during the process, which was great. So if we had a question or a problem, we could just text Jeff. You know, he would just tell us, just give me a call. So there have been plenty of times where I was like, oh, I was trying to figure something out for a story or an outline. And I would just give Jeff a text and be like, hey, man, um, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And he'd get back to you real quick and let you know. Um, he makes himself very available, which is what you want, really, from the producer level. You know, like, I do things on my own, and then that's, that's its own process, right? That's just how Brian Hill kind of works when Brian's just in the, in the Hill cave. But when I work on TV, I really do try to be a team player um, and collaborate because that's what I enjoy about TV is working with a group of people and not being the only person uh, who has to make all the decisions based on notes and all that kind of stuff to be able to bounce ideas off of writers that have more experience than I do in writing television or more experience than I do in writing comics, you know, in terms of Jeff, you know, and all that. Um, And that's the fun part. So the discussions became kind of what that Bible was. And we all kind of went in with a pretty good idea too, you know, like there between like the cartoons and the comics that we'd read going in um, the, our familiarity with the bat verse from all of the various incarnations of Batman. Right. We we're pretty fluent on, on this stuff. I will say that uh, uh, when we had to start looking at things like, like doom patrol and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. Um, just to be familiar with kind of the, like the Gar Logan backstory and all of that, I had to brush up because I wasn't really fluent in that stuff uh, uh, when I was growing up. Um, I was into weird comics, but I was into like a different weird than that. Um, so yeah, so I had to get get up to speed. But the great thing about working on a DC show uh, is you get whatever comic book you want the moment you want it. That was gonna be my question. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would, I'd be like, hey, I need to read whatever. I remember I asked Jeff, hey, man, and this wasn't even for, for Titans. This was just like, just off the cuff. Uh, I was like, ooh, I know I could really use, uh, you know, one of those uh, Constantine Hellblazer volumes from back in the day. Because um, I'm just curious to read, you know, what Garth Ennis was doing. A week later, a box showed up with everything. Nice. Just like all the Hellblazer. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I just took that back home and now, you know, I've got all the Hellblazer in my closet. So, um, yeah, when you're, when you're, I think Bibles are more important when there's a world that has a lot of narrative rules, but uh, you haven't had 70 years of exposure, right? You've only had like a few years of, of things, you know? So uh, in that situation, I think you would need something of a Bible um, there, but with so much of this world already uh, having been a part of our lives going into the process, I think we were pretty, pretty solid without needing a source text. Gotcha. All right, Tim, you, you had any other questions, Tim? Are you uh, just random thoughts? I know uh, earlier today the the Jason Todd Robin picks came out, so that was kind of cool to see for Titans. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, that. Did, I, I, I wasn't expecting to actually see him with the Robin costume on, so that was a surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Uh, it's cool, man. We, we have a lot of cool surprises like that. Like, I can't release anything now, but I have a phone full of photos that are awesome. So after the, after the show premieres and, you know, runs through the, the whole season, 
then I'll start posting all those photographs to Instagram and, and all that. I just, I'm just been sitting on them for a while <laughs> because uh, they are, they are prized uh, bits of information, but yeah, yeah. There's a lot of cool moments like that in the show. Um, I think fans of this stuff are going to have a pretty good experience. I will say I have uh, access to the first three screeners. So I'm uh, looking forward to checking that out when I have some free time. Oh, right on. I didn't know the screeners had gone out already. That's that's real cool, man. Yeah, I, um, I've seen a little bit of post-production, but uh, um, after you watch those, you've probably seen more than I have. <laughs> um, I've seen rough cuts of the two episodes that I wrote. They're not in the first three. Okay. Um, I believe I'm six and nine uh, as it goes. But I, I haven't really seen um, much of it. I'm going in tomorrow uh, to meet with Jeff and just check in and, and see what's up. But the post-production process is more world of the showrunner than the producer's. Right. And I guess that's something to keep in mind as well. It's like, you know, you hear, you know, writer of the series. So you, at least I don't, myself would probably initially think, oh, you know, you wrote or helped write on each episode, but that necessarily isn't the case. It's like you, you say you get on six and nine, so well, the entire 12. TV, all TV is cooked differently depending on who's running it. Okay. Um, in the case of, of Titans, really both the shows I worked on, Ash versus Evil Dead and, and Titans. Uh, we all broke the episodes together in a room. So we all contributed to the stories of the individual episodes, but then the scripts got assigned to different writers, right? Okay. Um, and uh, that's that's the only method that I've, like, worked in. But I know that other, other shows have, you know, different methods, and there's so many different shows, so many different showrunners mm-hmm. that everyone kind of has their own flow, right? So when you, if you're thinking about working in TV, I think the most important quality you can have is flexibility you know you've got to be flexible with how you work because uh it's like kind of going from one sports team to another mm-hmm. you know like you can't expect uh pat riley to coach the same way that phil jackson coached right that's not going to happen you know like right. uh, uh george carl is going to have a whole different kind of offense defense perspective than you know someone else is going to have and so you've got to be able to kind of change and shift. And if you're used to running an inside triangle, then, you know, maybe run a motion now because that's what they do. You're used to playing man to man, but this what the other shorter wants to do zone. So yeah, you just kind of have to go with the flow of the leadership and uh, trust that they know how to get you to uh, the destination. I always enjoyed the writer room aspect of like even working in comics and TV, just the, having all those creative people in one room brainstorming together, that kind of stuff always excites me just to even think about and like and daydream about. So that's, that's something I've always enjoyed about the, the creative process. It's yeah. That's, that's, I would love to be on a fly on the wall on some of that stuff myself. It's a lot of fun, man. I mean, you know, I, I write a bunch of different things, right? So like with my comics and screenplays, those things I do alone. I do those things in my office <laughs> with a glass of Johnny Walker black playing nice. some, some Coltrane or whatever it is. And I, and I I like that, you know, I like having that kind of classic writer experience, you know? Um, But it's also great to have a social experience around writing because it's rare that you're going to get that, you know, Mm there's not a lot of places where it's going to go down and you're in a room with talented people who, who they fight the opponent differently than you do, you know, and you'll learn some stuff, you know, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I never thought about dropping the left and then coming with the overhand, right. Like, okay, I see how you could do that, right? I'm going to use that in the next thing. And so you learn people's Kung Fu, and, and that's really cool. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, uh, it's, that's why I try to do as many different things as I can, because it all sort of builds 
a different aspect of my own creativity and helps me focus my work. Uh, and then when I eventually run my own television show that I've created, um, uh, you know, I'll be able to take all the experience in there and have a better idea of how I'd want to do that. Dope. Okay. So, and so you just touched on the, the, um, your, your process a little bit. So what, so, so I guess let's go into a little bit more about that. Like, uh, for your, for your comics stuff, for instance, like, how did you go about that process? Like, do you, you've already said you got your Jenna Walker black in your headphones. Do you start with, um, like, is it character first or you would plot first or does it, is it a mixture depending on what you're working with? Well, I mean, the first thing I do, if I'm starting a new thing, I think about how the overall experience is supposed to feel, right? Like what, what kind of feeling um, is it supposed to have? Is, is it tense or is it really kinetic? Uh, is it sexy? Is it romantic? Is it scary? Like what are the, what are the emotions I'm trying to hit? Uh, and then I just kind of open up a document and start doing notes, just whatever comes to mind. Scenes, moments, characters, bits of dialogue, try to dump all of the random jigsaw bits and pieces that are in my head into a thing so I can clear that space off my mental hard drive and then start organizing it into something of a narrative using act structure and, and all of that. But, you know, music is a big thing. I'll make a playlist for a lot of the things I'm working on because I'm, I, you know, at any given time, I'm writing at least five comic books in addition to a screenplay assignment or a television thing. Um, um, I got a novel I'm putting together, I got a stage play I'm working on. So I'm working on all these different things, right? And the only way I can keep it all straight in my head is to build a unique playlist for everything I'm working on. That way, when I look at my schedule, I've blocked out my time. I know that, okay, I'm writing detective comics on Tuesday. So I, I can't like not be in the mood to do it when I've got my time set out to do it. So I put the playlist on and the music just gets me right where I need to go. Because music is a, is a big gateway for me into creativity you know most of the time if i have writer's block or you know i just I'm not in love with what i'm doing i just got to find the right track and if i can put the right track on then ah. uh, i can i can get into the emotion right so if I, for instance with the uh miles morales uh annual right right uh i was really struggling with that for for like the first week of of writing it mainly because like you know my imagination is kind of dark it's kind of intense um, and getting into the Spider-Man tone isn't a natural fit for me, right? So I was having a real uh, tough time pushing that rock up the hill. And then I went to Spotify and I listened to, I tried to listen to the Raimi soundtrack and I liked the Raimi soundtrack, but that didn't help. Mm. Um, mainly because the Raimi movies, I love the Raimi movies, but they are uh, very kind of in the box, you know, culturally, right? Like, I mean, uh, for lack of a, a, a better term, the Raimi movies are very white. Um, and Miles is, you know, like, a, you know, black Latino kid from, mm -hmm. from New York, which is a completely different vibe, right? And I'm like, well, this isn't helping me because this, this feels like a white kid from Queens, which is what Peter Parker is, but that's not what Miles is. So I got to get out of this. I'm like, well, listen. And then I put on the um, Amazing Spider-Man 2 soundtrack, the one that Pharrell produced. Hmm. Uh, and which I hadn't listened to before because I didn't, I didn't really remember any of it um, from the from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. The Raimi music I could kind of hum, but I couldn't remember the Amazing Spider-Man stuff with the Andrew Garfield movies music. Mm -hmm. But when I put uh, that that soundtrack for ASM uh, two on, 
I, I, th- I, I just could feel it because there was syncopation now, right? There were bass lines. Like, it had that Pharrell, you know, it had the skip beats. And I'm like, oh, okay, now it's clicking for me emotionally. And I just kept listening to that whole thing in a loop while I was writing the script. So, yeah, usually um, music is the first thing that, that holds together what I'm trying to do and kind of points me in the right direction. Nice, nice, nice. So you said, um, and I, I love this piece of advice you gave somebody on Twitter. I was trying to find it while, while you were talking. Um, yeah, you got duck. You got to duck when you see the shoulder move, not when you see the hand. <laughs> oh, 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 you didn't mean that one. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you have so many gems on Twitter. It could be any of them. Okay, I thought you meant that one. Okay, okay. No, you just reminded me of something we, we need to get that, that was teased last week. We need to get yeah. into, actually. But you said, uh, to quote, uh, to treat your story like a physical obstacle, somebody asked you what's the best advice you've received early on in your career, and you said, to treat your story like a physical object. Walk around it. Look around it. Look at it from different angles. Find creative opportunities in, in changing your perspective on it. And I thought, oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I learned that from a, a, a pretty big-time screenwriter who I don't think wants me to share exactly who he is, so I'm going to not say it, but um, unless I've already said it online, but um, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah, it's just treating it like an object, right? Because it's for me, all create all creativity is art, right? It's all art for me. I don't have these hard and fast, stringent rules about this is art and this isn't art, right? Like what you guys do is an art form, you know, because you're collecting sound effects, you got to drop them in at the right time, you're creating a vibe for your show, you got the intro that sets the stage for it. Like to me, that's art, right? Um. So all art in a macrocosmic sense is kind of the same. And uh, when, when he told me to look at a, a, a story like an object, it instantly clicked for me. Because if you were sculpting something, of course you would walk around and look at it from different angles. You know, if you're, if you're a, a, a shooting film, you're going to walk around your set, you're going to move the camera around, you're going to see what light's going to do, what the compositions are, what's the best way to approach a thing. You know, you do get that tactile physical experience. And with storytelling, a lot of times we don't approach it in that way. And I think we get locked into things because once we put it on paper, it seems like, well, all we can do is kind of fix it a little bit, but it's already on paper. So we can't really take it apart too much. And uh, I learned to play around more with it. You know, and, and, and that's my general advice to anyone who's being creative is keep the spirit of play, you know, always play with what you're creating. Don't be so um, locked into the result you had in mind when you began, because you might miss great opportunities because you just wanted to get it to the place you wanted to go when you started the process. Sure. There've been so many times, man, where I've written something. And then by the end of it, I realized that, you know what? I thought it was about this character. It's really about this character. Mm-hmm. And then I got to go all the way back to the beginning and change the whole thing because I found a character I like more than the character I originally started with, right? So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my, my general advice to folks is uh, play around and, and, like, you know, smack it up, flip it, rub it down. Like, see what's going oh, on. No! There you go. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and just, like, kind of see what you got, what you got going on, man, because you're not really going to know um, until you you mess around with it. I mean, how many times you've heard a music producer say, not me, like a real one, say, uh, uh, yeah, you know, originally the track was going to be X, and then I made a mistake. I clicked the wrong button, and I quantized the drums in a different way, 
And then I heard this drum beat, and then we realized, oh, you know what? That's the song right there, right? You know, like The weekend talks about Starboy. Starboy was just Daft Punk messing around with the drum program. And then Abel heard that that drum. is like, wait a minute, what's that? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, well, actually, we, let's, let's make that something right there, you know? And that turns into the single. Mm-hmm. Happy accidents. Yeah, exactly. So I got one more question, and then I and, uh, and I will pass it over to the other guys because I know they definitely have questions. And and that is, you may have already kind of touched on a little bit. Is that do are you a proponent of keeping everything regardless of whether it works or not for later, or do you just kind of like scrap stuff? You're like, yeah, this didn't work. I'm just gonna scrap it. Um, I mean, my 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 later steps in a drafting process. If something's not working, it's got to go. Right? It's just got to go. Um, but it's important to think about why it's not working. You know, it's not, don't just cut it out because it doesn't work. Think about why doesn't this work? Mm-hmm. So you can see uh, the balance of forces inside whatever you're creating, right? But that doesn't mean that I just throw it away and I just pitch it into a black hole somewhere. No, I mean, usually it goes into, you know, maybe another document or something uh, where I've got all my my fallen soldiers, you know, kind of in this document. Mm-hmm. And I can take a look at it. And from there, I can get more stories. You know, I might find a thing, but like, ooh, I, you know, I, I don't really have a place for this subplot or um, this backstory. I can't really get into this backstory here. I don't really need it. That's not working. This scene here, it's cool. I like the emotion of it, but it's not really moving the story forward. So I just move it over. And then I'll go back to that and look around and I'll probably see places I can, you know, put those moments in. Um, it might be different characters, might be in a different story. But whatever I was trying to say in, in those moments, I can still say, I just got to say it in something else, right? And, and that's, for me, the key to being prolific. Um, because if, if I were to accomplish everything I initially set out to accomplish in a story, I don't think I would have more stories. You know, the, the, the volume of work that I do comes from planting the seeds that I had to take out of whatever I was doing at the time. And then I just say, well, I still want to explore this and maybe I'll explore it over here in a new thing. And then that becomes the own, you know, it's, its own new story, its own new book, own new script, whatever it is. Um, and creativity sort of like ladders that way. It scales up, you know, it overlaps um, for me. So, so yeah, I will cut out whatever's not working because ultimately people got to pay money for this experience. Mm. And I don't want people paying money to read a scene or to watch a scene that I felt like I wanted to do when it didn't really make their experience better, you know? Um, so my responsibility to audiences and to people's time and to people's hard-earned cash uh, disciplines me in that way. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it, if I had, it all, it's also the experience too, right? So like, if I was just going to make some art thing, whether it was a graphic novel or it was like a, a feature film, you know, whatever it was, maybe like some Nicholas Reffin only God forgives or like a Terrence Malick movie Mm. or maybe a trippy graphic novel, you know, like kind of Alan Moore's work, uh, some of Grant Morrison's esoteric work, then I might be more indulgent, but that's the buy-in of the experience, right? If you're, if you're watching that movie, you're reading that book, you know, I'm going to take some weird kind of side streets on the way to where I want to go. And that's part of why people are interested in it. I wouldn't do it in detective comics because the main thing there is you want to read a Batman story that makes sense. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's always a, a matter of, um, you know, kind of right weapon, right war. 
Gotcha, gotcha, cool, cool. So I guess I don't. I'm guessing the the fellas may have some questions on on speaking of a detective on that line or, or something. So, guys, got something? Go for it. Not so much detective. My one question kind of goes back to the uh, again going back to Twitter. I know Brian. I think recently you've well all the time you've been open about sharing tips, writing tips, or showing. Yeah, yeah for sure taking people behind the scenes of how you do things. And I think you were talking about doing your own type of sort of like YouTube tutorial type show has any uh, progress moved on that. Oh yeah. It's up, it's up right now. I got like okay. four videos up there. It's uh, it's called the Hill administration. Um, and uh, it's, you know, there's videos with different sort of writing topics. I'm look, I am no authority, right? I, I make a living telling stories um, but there are people, obviously, that are far more successful and gifted than I am. Um, however, because I don't think I'm special, right? Uh, I, I don't think I'm some unique snowflake that was able to do it. I I like to show people how it's not magic. I mean, there is a magic in it, but it's not in the way people think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to demystify story structure, you know, characterization, uh, the business of storytelling to get people out of imposter syndrome because ultimately my goal is is to help people who want to express themselves through creative works to do that right Mm -hmm. and um i didn't have a lot of north stars to follow when i was uh you know kind of coming up because frankly there weren't a lot of storytellers telling the stories like to tell that looked like me Mm. and i didn't really have that person to i mean i had christopher priest who was doing things in comics to Dwayne McDuffie's, you know, the, the, those, those folks were there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you had Spike Lee, Singleton. Um, they were, they, you know, they were, they were, they were there, but you know, you didn't have like a black Jim Cameron, mm. you know, you didn't have like a black George Lucas, right? Like I didn't grow up with a guy like Ryan Coogler making a movie like black mm-hmm. Panther, you know, back in the day, it wouldn't have been Ryan Coogler, right? It would have been somewhat well, back in the day. It wouldn't have been black Panther, but, um, uh, so I try to be that for other people. You know, I try to be a person on social media and it's really genuine to who I am too, because it's just too difficult to pretend to be something you're not. Um, but I, you know, I, I try to be the person that I needed, you know, and um, figuring, okay, well, what I went through isn't, you know, unique. A lot of people go through it. So if I could have used someone like me, who just, you know, shared information, like a little tidbit, something that made you feel like you could get over that hill, you, you know, you get over that fence, right? Uh, um, then I can easily do that to make it easier for the next guy. Uh, I'm There's a unique pressure, you know, when you are a person of color and you're working in um, traditional media. Um, whether it's fair or not, you tend to represent everyone who looks like you. Right. Like the hardest thing for a person of color to be in Hollywood is an individual. Uh, because you will be a symbol for a lot of people. If someone has a negative experience with you, it's going to make it harder for the next guy that looks like you. Mm-hmm. If someone has a positive experience with you, it's going to make it easier for the next guy that looks like you. So it's a it's an additional pressure. You know, like when I'm writing detective comics, I'm well aware that not many black guys get to write Batman. And if I just fumbled that ball then it might be a while before another black guy got a chance to do so, you know? Um, 
and that's why I'm kind of picky about the things that I do and all of that. But yeah, the YouTube is, is really just a free resource for people because things like Masterclass are great, but they're expensive. You know, books on screenwriting can run you twenty nine ninety five. You know, thirty four ninety five. Sometimes they sometimes they never go paperback, and that's a lot of money for somebody that's trying to be a writer and doesn't have a job or doesn't have a well paying job where they got kids they got to take care of what have you. So if I can share information for free on YouTube, then people have more money that they can put into you know food, software, whatever else you know they need, uh, because the. The biggest crisis I think we have in America right now is that your education depends on your income a lot. A lot. Yeah. And if you have to get a better education to increase your income, you can see how that readily turns into a trap. Yep. And I was, a, I was a scholarship kid growing up. I was poor. I, mean, I was broke. I know what government cheese tastes like. I, I know what I know what old government cheese tastes like. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, you know, I was broke. Um, it was like good times growing up. Uh, uh, and po- post John Amos, you know, damn, damn. Oh, no. damn. <laughs> right. Like we were not moving on up to the east side. No, 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 no Jeffersons, man. It was just good times. Um, so, uh, uh, I was lucky because I got a scholarship to a pretty good high school and it was hell when I was going there because everyone had much more money than me. I mean, this was a place where people were getting, you know, Dodge Vipers when they were 16 and I could didn't even have enough money to, to pay for my own car insurance, you know, let alone have a, have a new sports car as a 16 year old, um, so I was miserable and, and kind of aggressive and, and angry and, ugh, you know, it was just a tough, tough, tough time. But what I did get was a good education. And more importantly, I got taught how to educate myself, which is the most important skill, right, uh, to, to teach. is you got to teach somebody how, you know, they can fish and then they never go hungry, you know, as the saying goes, right? Um, so what I try to do is share some of that experience and the strategy, that I use, that I, that I was able to get, you know, in my formative years for other people who maybe aren't as fortunate as I was to be able to get scholastic access to these thought processes. Cause the biggest difference between people that fail and people that succeed is that people that succeed believe their work will pay off. Right. It's like, if you're, if you're like really overweight and you're trying to work out, it sucks because your mind tells you it's not going to make a difference because you can kill yourself on Monday and on Tuesday you wake up in the same body except now it hurts right and you got to go through it that's really hard to do it's much harder for that person to work out for four weeks than for you know a person that was a linebacker in high school you know was super fit in college well they know they're going to get a result right there's no doubt in their mind when they work out they're going to get a result Dwayne Johnson goes into the gym there's no doubt in his mind He's going to get a result. So he can kill himself. What you think? Right? Because he can kill himself because he knows it's going to pay off. But the the for for people that are trying to level up and change their circumstances and empower themselves, they need to believe that the effort that they're going to put into it will eventually result in something that they're trying to achieve. Because you can't delay gratification if you think that the delay is going to have to be forever, right? So when you see like the right wing talk about discipline 
And well, you know, why don't they just discipline them? Listen, when you grow up and you don't think you're going to live past 18, you're not going to invest a lot into your education, right? Mm-hmm. When you've got the entire world telling you that you're the problem of the world, that you're nothing, that you're a criminal, that we got to put you in a cage. You can't expect someone like that to believe that going to law school is going to make a difference. You know, like, so um, the thing that I'm really passionate about is breaking these ideas of limitations and showing people that if anything about what I do is impressive, if anything about what I am is a goal, then we got to remember, I'm not special. I'm not different. You know, I've been hungry. You know, I've been through all that stuff. I've been scared. I've been alone. I thought I was going to fail. And a lot of people, they get over that that place, right? They get to that finish line, and then they want to pretend they never went through any of that. Mm. <laughs> right? They they want to pretend that, like, they thought they were going to be something, then Gandalf showed up, and then that was, it was it. And it's like, no, 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 no. I like to demystify all of that, man, so that when people see me, they can hopefully see themselves. And... And they can get inspiration to do what they need to do. And they can get to places I won't be able to get to, right? So, uh, um, you know, for me, social media is just an extension of that. All right. Gotcha. Uh, Eight to seven, you got any questions? Any more questions? Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's going to seem like a hard pivot, um, you know, because I know no, that. No, I can get stupid again. Don't worry. I'm not going to press it on that. <laughs> I still want to get to the other thing and a different one. To talk about your, your your new project that's uh that just started. Yeah, I was just. Say, well, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think I think exactly because I I I uh, just w- what you were saying, Roddy. Because I was going to bring up Batman and the Outsiders. That one too. Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, I just wanted to know because um, uh, you know, I was uh, I, I was surprised to hear your answer to my question about you know kind of growing up with the Titans. Uh, Batman and the Outsiders kind of came up just after that, like in the eighties, and yeah, yeah. and the and the books actually crossed over while like the New Teen Titans were at kind of like the peak of their powers when they were challenging the X Men for publishing dominance, um, you know, and 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 uh, newsstand sales. So I was wondering, you know, um, if you were mining going back that far to uh, Batman and the Outsiders, and if you had ever read any of that stuff coming up. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, there's been so many different iterations of that, right? Right. You know, from like the early, early stuff to like the Judd Winnick stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like there's so many different things. I, I looked at all of it because when DC first approached me about Detective, they didn't really talk about Outsiders. They were just like, would you like to do a five issue arc of Detective? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're thinking put Black Lightning in and besides that, we don't have a lot of rules. So I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds like fun. Never got to write Batman before. That's cool. And then in the middle of that, they started talking to me about Outsiders. And, you know, I could kind of see how it could transition because obviously Black Lightning and Batman in a book, you know, what, you know, you kind of, the mind remembers. Um, and then I started looking at the other stuff. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like anytime you're working on something that has a long history, you want to look at everything that's come before and figure out the best way to service the legacy. But simultaneously, I've got to make a book that works for, for now. You know, I mean, the, the first issue comes out December 2018. So I got to make a book that works for 2018 and in 2019, sure. hopefully into 2020. Right. And it's a we have a different Black Lightning than we did back in the day. We have a different Batman in a lot of ways, um, too. So I'm looking at that stuff. But my I want this to be a, a, a 
book, a team book, a Batman book, a Black Lightning book that is an oasis for people who like the kind of grounded, tense, character-driven stuff. Um, you know, it's we're going to have sci-fi elements and fantasy elements because it's a comic book, but the emotions aren't ever really going to get lost in all of that. And I'm I'm writing this for people that were like me, mm-hmm. you know, who were who felt like a little bit different, you know. Uh, they were, you know, not to make a pun, but they felt a little bit on the outside of things. Sure. And it's a group of, you know, you got Katana and Cassandra Kane and Duke Thomas and and you know Black Lightning and, and Bruce Wayne and you know you've got these intense characters that have this intense experience. Um, that are all trying to figure out how to navigate life while they're trying to make the world a better place. So it's a little bit for the misfit kids, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit for those kids, man. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's that kind of thing. I mean, that's where my imagination goes. Um, Cause I was one of those growing up. So yeah. So you're going to see certainly nods to all of that stuff uh, across the, the, the series. Um, but, you know, I'll get, get to it in my own way through my own prism you sure. know, the the elevator pitch I always tell people is it's a team book with the safety off oh nice and you know it's not it's not justice league it's it's not even justice league dark it's not a group of fully formed individuals who have made a pact to work together and will get along and no no it's it's a a bunch of volatile people trying to get held together by Black Lightning, who's wondering if Batman is crazy, uh, and Bruce Wayne always telling people 75% of what they want to know. <laughs> right? Right. So it's uh I you know I talk about the Jefferson Pierce Bruce Wayne relationship. It's a bit like spy game with Redford and Brad Pitt, right? It's a oh, bit yeah. like a handler spy relationship in a way where Jefferson's always looking at Bruce and wondering where is this coming from? What do you really want? And I got to know what you want because these people's lives are in my care and you're not telling me everything. Right. So there's a little bit of that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very contemporary um, as, as my, as my work tends to be. And I'm trying to push the statics. I got Dexter Soy doing the art and Dexter is amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're really trying to push the aesthetics a little bit. Gotcha. You know, we, we want a book that is a rich visual experience I definitely don't want one of those books where you open it up and it's just me slapping you with bubbles and captions, you know, like. <laughs> so did you tell Dexter to, uh, you know, to take, um, you know, for, for, for Katana to take uh, uh, inspiration from Tamlin Tamita? Did you tell him that? <laughs> no, I haven't. But it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I hadn't actually thought this, that might actually be a way for me to reach out to Tamlin Tamita. There you go. I might have a reason to do so. Um, which would be amazing. Uh, no, no, it's funny. Um, one, yes, my crush on Tamlin Tamita is still strong after all these years since Karate Kid Part Two, and I'm not ashamed. My wife is aware of it, and she's okay with it. We get we we each get a couple. Um, <laughs> one, but uh, 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 the 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 way I spoke to Dexter. Well, the first thing with Dexter, I told him was, "Tell me what you hate drawing, so I never write it," mm. which is. Great advice for any comic book writer. When you are starting a process with a penciler, ask them what they hate drawing. That way you won't wind up giving them a parking lot full of cars if they hate drawing cars, you know? Um, 
and you can make the process a lot easier and they'll be happier because they'll they'll tell you what they don't like and also what you, what you like and dexter and i are very much on the same page i mean his work has such an energy to it it's got a real flow sure. to it super iconic but his structure doesn't break down he's got that that razor thin margin uh on lock where the work is kinetic it's iconic but it doesn't get so kind of graphic designy that you lose the the human form you know as you can sometimes with some work so so yeah so you know we we looked at a bunch of different influences for the characters for katana specifically uh, well, I'm a martial artist. I mean, I'm kind of a lapsed martial artist. I haven't been a competitive shape in a very long time, so I'm not tough or anything. But I used to train pretty seriously a, a while ago, and I still, you know, dabble here and there. But for Katana, I'm taking a real investment into um, Kendo, into Bushido. Sure. You know, I mean, I, I, I grew up reading the Hagakure because I was the poorest kid in a, in a school full of rich kids. Mm. So I needed to read a book of five rings or something. I just needed to find something. Nice. <laughs> nice. So... I was about that to was me with. I was about Yo, to go ahead. No, no, I was just going to add. Now that now that you have a little bit of dough, you should uh, go back and uh, read Lone Wolf and Cub if you have time. Yeah, yeah, go back and stun on them. Uh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, no, well, yeah, no, I like Lone Wolf and Cub too, man. Shogun Assassin, you know, I, I mean, I was the kid who was getting those weird VHS tapes from the video store around the block because yeah. they had the they had that Shogun Assassin for you, you know, they had that Sunny Chiba. Um, but for Katana, yeah, I'm investing a lot into. Uh, What's her belief system? You know, because what I don't want uh, a character like that, for instance, to be is a fetish. Mm. You know, like she's just a sexy Japanese woman with a sword. And now we can stop thinking. <laughs> That's that tends to be how it goes. But, you know, she comes from a cultural legacy and you have to respect that. Um, you have to think about that discipline, what it means to her, what what her philosophy is of combat, you know, and how that's different from Bruce Wayne. Because Bruce Wayne has a hard and fast no-killing rule. I do not believe that Katana does. You know, because in the cultural legacy she follows, killing is not always wrong. Now, she can follow Bruce Wayne's rules, but that does not mean that she believes in Bruce Wayne's philosophy. And that's interesting uh, to me. And it's allowed me to study things like Shinto and and explore those aspects um so that that feels real and sort of the same thing for like each of the characters for me is i need to be able to live and breathe kind of through their eyes and that means doing a lot of research um if if there's a knowledge gap uh um there so uh i mean i jefferson pierce is kind of the on paper you know field leader of the outsiders but I, i think katana is equally as significant to this group um, because she has her own kind of wisdom and her own connection to the mystic too. You know, if you look at all those characters, she's the only character that has a real permanent connection to the supernatural. Mm. And that's interesting. So it's almost like she functions a little bit like a Jedi on the group in a way, <laughs> right? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, not with the same hard and fast rules that Jedis have, but just that she has that metaphysical uh, perspective that can also be uh, pretty helpful. So, so yeah, like, you know, I, I am trying to make it the most interesting book that I can. Um, I hope that people really enjoy it. I'm very excited about it. I think Dexter's going to melt faces with what he's doing, man. Like you can just write that guy to alphabet and then he'll just draw something amazing. I saw some designs. We have some new characters coming, you know, mm-hmm. hand, hand. Um, and I saw some designs uh, a couple days ago that were, that were super good. Um, so yeah, we'll kind of see how it all plays itself out, but I'm hoping that book slaps. 
Hope so too. Hope so too. Um, I know that we're running out of or running a little short on time. I just wanted to let the audience, our, our our loyal viewers and listeners, know we actually had a conversation before the show started about uh, about uh, Tamlin Tamita and how that came up is that I actually asked uh, Brian about his uh, you know his his film school uh, experience and how he had something in common with another comic book writer, Greg Pak. That's so. right. I went to NYU. I was undergrad and Greg was grad. You see, I just threw Greg under the old bus. Oh! <laughs> see how I did him? See how I did my boy? <laughs> there you go. Let it, let it be known that he'll, he'll made a heel turn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I got a chair from underneath the ring. Um, uh, no, but yeah, so Greg was a uh, grad student there um, when I was going there. I didn't know him well. I mean, I knew him kind of coming and going. Um, but he did a, 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 I believe he directed a feature that was three different stories. It was called Robot Stories. And it's uh, character driven. You know, it was really before its time. Like now, in the world of Black Mirror, in the world of uh, Ex Machina, you know, now that science fiction can be more than just combat for 110 minutes, I think more people would have embraced it. But back then, it was pretty new. You know, this idea of making a a, a film that was an anthology of stories that dealt with science fiction in a thoughtful way. Because Greg's work is always really thoughtful. That guy has a soul, man. Like, Greg Pak mm-hmm. has a soul. So, uh, I, first, I first was aware of him because he was a kid that had graduated from NYU that had made a thing. Um, and uh, I was getting myself into crazy amounts of debt by going to that school. Because still <laughs> broke during NYU. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he was kind of a... Um, inspiration for me and one of those shorts had tamlin tamita in it star of karate kid part two ralph and, uh, <laughs> yeah he's in there too <laughs> yeah i'll be in there whatever you know no shots fired to ralph you know i love you man but that's not why i watched that movie um i watched karate kid part two to you know re- to keep that crush alive for tamlin tamita and also to be scared of Yuji Okamoto, the actor that plays Chosun, because that dude scared the hell out of me. I went to Japan uh, last year because I wrote a, I wrote a feature. It was like this animated Thai Muay Thai feature, and uh, while I was in Bangkok working on that, I decided I wanted to go to Japan. So I flew myself to Japan because I'd never been, and I was in the region, well near the region, um, and I was a little scared of just about getting my ass kicked because Little Karate Kid Part Two. Kind of went off in my head, and I'm like, "Oh man, Chosen's gonna find me and ask me if I know how to fight with a spear, and I don't, and I'm gonna get beat up. It's gonna be bad." I was looking around, where, where do I break the ice? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find a place where you break the ice. Oh, um, no. Yeah, yeah. So, so I saw that Greg had worked with Tablet and Tamita, and my so clearly my entire comic book career has really just been uh, me trying to be Greg Pak. <laughs> <laughs> So I can hang out with, with Miss Tamita. So y'all have figured out the whole Brian Hill master plan. It you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. It has been revealed. <laughs> so okay, so I know, and I know you got a because uh, I know you got some scripts you need to do, and I wanted to get to uh, definitely one that wanted to ask you about your your pitch about uh, American Carnage. But before that, you kind of been hinting around that we need to know about this. Uh, you run into this Wu Tang thing. Oh, oh, my Wu Tang oh. story! Yeah, yeah, I can give you that Wu Tang story real quick. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, liquid sores, man. Okay, so 
I was this is me in film school when um I didn't know what I was doing at all. Uh and I met a guy in Staten Island. Um I met an actor who was from Staten Island who called himself the Dark Ninja. And he was like this skinny black guy that I think he knew a little martial arts, but not nearly as much as he pretended to know. <laughs> um but I didn't really, you know, whatever, like, you know, cool. do your thing, man. I'm not, I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not here to call you out. Like, live your life. Um, and he introduced me to a guy that was, he said he was a manager with the Wu-Tang Clan and you know, whatever. So they wanted a music video. Now, the deal was I was going to go there and I was going to direct the music video they were going to get the equipment and bring the Wu-Tang Clan and all that. Like, that's the deal we had worked out. So I get to uh, Staten Island, um, and then they t- then they drive me into, like, Shaolin, which is different than Staten Island. Mm-hmm. There's Staten Island, and then there's Shaolin, right? Yep. So then I go into Shaolin, I'm like, oh, it's real over here. And I'm separated by water. I'm like Kurt Russell in a movie from 1981, <laughs> man. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Even if I get out of Shaolin, I still got to get get across the water. Right. <laughs> That, like, that no fair only runs so often. It's no good, man. It's no good. Um, so I'm, I'm there, and it's supposed to shooting was supposed to start at like five o'clock. No, it was supposed to start at noon, and then they didn't. The Wu Tang didn't show up. Then it was like five. It still didn't show up. Now we've lost all the daylight. Um, no equipment, nothing. And I'm like, um, I gotta go. I need to go back to you know, my, my dorm. Cause I got stuff to do. Uh, and the manager took me out to the porch and started yelling at me. And then in the middle of yelling at me, just cold cocked me, just whack right hook and busted my lip wide open. Oh yeah. I still have a scar. I still got a scar on my lip. Um, and I'm bleeding everywhere. And I didn't go down because I know enough not to fall down. Cause if you fall down you get stomped, and if you stay up, then, you know, you can kind of, I think he might've thrown like a couple more. Like I, he caught me with that first one, but then I got my arms up for the other, for the other ones. So they, they kind of glanced off, you know, kind of closed up a little bit and turned my shoulders until they just kind of hit me on the side. Um, and I backed up and I got like a pool of my own blood in my hand. And I looked to my left. I don't even know who it is, but somebody has got a nine millimeter out just like hanging at the side. Like, I don't know why. It's not like I'm Jason Bourne and I was getting ready to off everybody on that porch. <laughs> like, I'm like, you don't really need the burner guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he had the nine millimeter out. And I'm like, oh no, am I going to die on a porch in Staten Island by, you know, like second degree removed from the Wu-Tang Clan? Oh my God. Like, this is not how this story is supposed to end, right? I, I'm like, if I die here, I'm going to haunt all these people for the rest of my life. I didn't die right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't die right. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm bleeding. It's all crazy. Um, and uh, I think Capadonna and Meth had gotten into the house. Mm. And they had figured out what was going on. And like, I think it was, I think it was Meth. I think meth came out and was like, why are y'all beating up this kid? <laughs> it's like those kind of, you know, like when, when, you, when your boys are just, they're wilding out mm-hmm. and, and you, you just can't understand. Like he had that, like, what is going on out here? Like, nah, nah, that's not how we do it. 
So meth calmed that situation. I'm sure he doesn't remember. Um, but meth calmed that situation down, and I uh, I got off the island, went to the emergency room, got the stitches, uh, and I was walking around, you know, looking like Frankenstein's monster for a few weeks. Healed mm. up pretty good. You can't really see it unless I point it out to you. But um, but yeah, man, I thought it was it. I thought I was catching bullets. You know, I'm like, great, that's awesome. I'm gonna get murked by the Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> Um, and that was the the beginning and the end of my uh uh hip-hop video directing career (laughs) oh man i got an apb on an mc killer looks like the work of a master like i'm I'm still a fan of, of the Wu-Tang Clan. Like, oh, oh little, here's a little epilogue to that story, right? We're going to get into the fifth act epilogue. You know, <laughs> We show how the world has changed. We're going to see, I'm, I'm making this a lesson, this story structure. So the, uh, the, uh, the fifth act epilogue is I was, years later, a couple years later, I graduated film school. And after I went through that, I was a little swole, like senior year of college and like the year after. Because that's what you do after somebody busts your lip open. You're like, well, right. clearly I need to get swole, right? So I was uh, I was hitting the weights pretty hard. Um, and I was walking with a friend of mine. And uh, we went to get a burrito. And in the burrito place was a dude who punched me. Who was <laughs> a bigger dude when he had punched me. But he had lost some weight. So now I had like 45 pounds on this cat. Wow. And so he looks at me up from his burrito. And he, you know, he gives me that check-in, right? It's like the gangster check-in, where it's like, is this gonna be a thing? Like, are we? Is is this a thing? And I gave him a little like, nah, man, that's not a thing. Eat your burrito. And then he kind of nodded. And I kind of nodded. He's like, hey, man, how you been? Good. And I'm like, yeah, man, I've been all right. And I got my food, and then we left, and that was the last I seen of him. So I guess we squashed it. I don't know. <laughs> Brian, the bigger man. I guess. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I mean, look, honestly. Had it been like just some guy, we probably would have had a round two. You know, we probably would have had the end of the Rocky movie rather than the than the fight I had in the middle of the Rocky movie. That was the last fight he had, right? But problem is, I didn't know if that guy is carrying. You know, like what you gonna do, right? Like, you know, that's a problem now, man. Um, I mean, there are a lot of problems now, but one of the issues with being physical in the streets, right? Uh, and one of the reasons why I don't recommend it. Um, is one you can seriously get hurt, but two, yeah, you just you know you you never know who's going to run to the trunk and and pull out the Mossberg these days, yep. right? Like it never stays in the stand up game, you know, it just never stays there. Like I've been I've been shot at before because I was at a party, things were getting crazy, people were throwing hands, and then like one guy that got caught with something, you don't know where he went, and then he runs in and he just like buck buck buck, you know, mm-hmm. and now everyone's running, right? So you just, everything escalates these days and people are so quick with the steel. And this was, you know, uh, a while ago, but even back then, I'm like, what am am I going to do? Beat him up? I mean, maybe I could have beat him up. I don't know. But then, but then what? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, it's not going to mean anything. It doesn't. um, uh, And the last thing the world needs is, you know, two black guys beat each other up for no reason, basically. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you just gotta, you gotta let that go, man. You know, you just have to kind of, find find a different path to walk um haven't seen him since but if i you know if i saw him you know tomorrow i would say what's up lesson learned uh so kids for those playing the brian hill home game (laughs) make sure 
that if you're going to direct a video for the Wu-Tang Clan, that you don't. (laughs) 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 I bumped into Brett Ratner while I was at film school like a year later because he was, you know, he'd already like gotten pretty successful and he'd done a bunch of music videos and he was giving one of those like, you know, when the graduate comes back and goes lecture kind of thing. And he was there and I was telling him the story and he's like, you were that guy? Oh, no. <laughs> Word it got around. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I was that guy. Dang. Um, okay, well, I don't, well, I'm not sure. Uh, I know where to go from that, but uh, I know you're, 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 you gotta be going because you got some stuff to do, but I got like uh, five, ten minutes. Okay, well, so good. So in that case, let us, which is kind of a hard pivot, but nevertheless, it kind of fits. Uh, let us talk about your new book, uh, American Carnage. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so so give us uh, give us the rundown on, on what's that about. Well, American Carnage is part of the uh, DC Comics Vertigo 25th anniversary kind of lineup of new books. Uh, recently, they released a, a, a an excellent book called Border Town um, by Ramon Villobos and uh, Eric Esquivel, and it's a really, really great book. It's a it's a beautiful piece of satire and gorgeously drawn. Um, it's been very successful. It sold out in the first week or something. So, um, yeah, congratulations to uh, Eric and Ramon for sure. Um, I think Tamara Bombalin's on that book too. Um, yes. And uh, my book, American Carnage, is part of that lineup. Uh, it's a crime book. I mean the 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 what if is pretty simple. Uh, it's what if a white FBI agent was murdered by, well, suspected to be murdered by a white supremacist organization um, tied to a libertarian sort of political activist named Wynn Morgan. Um, but they can't really pin him on it. So the FBI uh, reaches out to this guy named uh, Rick, Richard Wright, uh, obviously a nod to native son mm-hmm. um, who is uh, half black, but he can pass for white. My grandmother was like that. She was half black, but she, uh, she could pass for white. Um, and uh, he is compelled to go undercover and to win Morgan's organization to determine one, if he is indeed responsible for the death of the FBI agent. Um, but two, to understand the ways and the means of how white supremacy is working in a state like California. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the essential what if of it. And it's a pretty brutal and intense crime story. You know, it's it sounds kind of political. And I guess in some ways it is because of the milieu in which it's set. But it's really a story about manipulation, identity, demagoguery, kind of how these ugly movements form, um, how people capitalize on our lack of self-esteem uh, and how a guy who's always felt like he's not in one world or the other can navigate through all of these influences. You know, I mean, can you can you dance with the devil and, and not change, or does the devil change you, right? Um, and the book is based on a lot of my personal research. There's a YouTube video on the Hill administration, so if anyone is listening to this and they're curious, it's going to go into, like, real depth. I've got a video on the Hill administration, uh, YouTube, that's all about American Carnage, where I tell the story. But in short... Uh, a kid that was a good friend of mine, um, working class white kid. I was a working class black kid. We got along that way. Uh, I parted ways with him, um, you know, around high school and caught back up with him in college. And he was a skinhead. Mm. And, and, and so I was like, whoa, you know, I just couldn't, 
you know, when you see like like the, the torches in Charlottesville or the Proud Boys running around or Klansmen or whatever, um, it's hard to imagine them in a life before that. They kind of look like they were always that, right? Right. But in that case, the kid I grew up with that I love like a brother, the you know, next time I saw him, you know, he was all spider webs, lightning bolts, 88 and the 14 words, right? Um, and I didn't know where that came from. And it, it wasn't a story back then. It was just a feeling like maybe I can do something with it. You know, and then the Dylan Roof thing went down uh, and it really seemed like these ideas were gaining momentum again. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, being home during the summers, watching like Geraldo Rivera and he would have, you know, the Tom Metzger from the, the clan would be there and then you know the, the activists would be there the chair would get thrown and he got his nose broken and all that right like morton down jr and all that oh um yeah i remember david duke running you know when when uh in louisiana uh at some point and, and doing better than you thought he would back in the day yeah. um but i felt like america had maybe put some of that that virulent uh uh hatred to bed but it's all kind of come back up right um i guess it was a scab that was a very thin scab uh mm. and it got peeled off pretty quickly right so i started doing research man i you know i, I wasn't gonna sit here and be scared you know I, i'm not i'm not good at that i'm not good at being scared so first i went to message boards i'm not gonna say which ones i'm not trying to drive traffic to them but they're not hard to find and I would, start, I'm just trying to get into the minds, like, what is going on here? And 20, you know, this is back 2016, really, like 2016, 2017, like, how, how are you still a part of this? Um, and I wasn't getting very much, but I had like a little fake moniker that I had, and I would interact with people and try to get some motivational stuff. And, and then I reached out to friends of mine in law enforcement, friends of mine in civil rights, friends of mine in social work and said, hey, is there anyone in the movement I can talk to? Because this digital this isn't doing it. I need to, I need to lay eyes on somebody. And right. I first got introduced to people that were former. And then from the formers, I got to meet some currents um, and, and speak with them and just try to get to the common denominator. You know, when I look at a, when I look at something monstrous, my first question is how am I like the monster? You know, how am I the same? Cause we all know why you're different. The difference is easy, but how am I the same? Uh, and I just started to collect this information. Didn't know what I was going to do with it. And then Andy Corey and Mark Doyle and Jimmy Ridge over at Vertigo, they reached out to me and they're like, dude, you know, do you have any ideas for our 25th anniversary? And I'm like, well, I have this, this story I'm working on. It's called American Carnage. Uh, obvious nod to the phrase that Trump used mm -hmm. at the uh, uh, inauguration. Because um, it's just kind of stuck in my head, you know, American right. Carnage. Like, like, um, but I'm like, you don't, I don't know if you guys want this. I mean, Vertigo... You need like magical realism and, and that. I don't have any of that. This is a crime story you know, right. about it's like white supremacist Game of Thrones with a, a half black usurper weaving through it. I I don't know if that sounds like a runaway hit in your local comic book store. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, but they were like, no, that's what we want to do, man. We want to do like intense personal work. And um, if it's if it's personal for you and and you think you can really ride that beast, then let's go ahead and do that one. So I, I wrote a script and sent them the script to the first issue and they read it and liked it a lot. Uh, and then we were off to the races. And so that book comes out in November, I believe. And I'm very, very proud of it. Uh, I'm writing uh, Leandro uh, Fernandez uh, is doing the art 
and he's fantastic. Um, uh, Dean White's doing the color. Pat uh, uh, Rousseau is doing the letters, and the uh, Ben Oliver's doing the covers. It, it's it's just it's a good book, man. You know, like I I mean I'm not trying to be like this self-aggrandizing you know writer talking about his work, but it's a solid solid book. It's it, it's the kind of crime story that Vertigo meant for me growing up. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's as good as Scalped or Hundred Bullets or any of that because you know it, I I I don't know. Um, but it's certainly in that same kind of wheelhouse, uh, and it's a it's a very stark. Uh, kind of telling of that tale. And I think what makes it different than like Incognito or even Black Klansman mm. is one, it's this is happening now. American Carnage is happening right now. And most of these stories, when you talk about like, you know, the the way white supremacy works and and kind of infiltrating all that, it tends to be a letter to the past, usually. Right. But this mm. is something that's going on right now in the narrative. Uh, it's also happening in California. Because a lot of these stories tend to be regional, right? We say, oh, well, this is like a Louisiana thing. Mm. This, is a, this is a Georgia thing. You know, I'm from Missouri. This is a Missouri thing. And nah, this is like a California thing, too. This is a New York City thing, too. You know, like, you're not spared these movements if you're on uh, the top side of the Mason-Dixon. And there's this idea that California is this solid blue block of liberals and that is not true at all in any way whatsoever. So uh, I really wanted to do this story in a traditionally blue state, uh, traditionally blue city, you know. So, you know, we talk about Simi Valley a little bit in there. We've got uh, Los Angeles, you know, in there. Um, and it's a different take, I think. You know, it's like, what if Michael Mann produced a movie about this stuff? It's sort of how I think the book feels. So yeah, that book comes out in November. I'm not sure if we've had the final uh, order for it or not. I think you still can maybe uh, get your uh, local comic book store to uh, get you get you a copy of that. Um, and some of the reviews out there. I mean, I haven't seen all of them, but I've, I've seen a couple reviews and they've been very positive. And I'm happy to happy to see that. And people seem to be having a good experience with it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just excited to get it in, into people's hands and to hear what people's reactions are to it because i think it's going to surprise a lot of people you know i mean it's raw that book is probably the most raw thing i've ever written in any format i'd say all right well we will look forward to that um in november it looks like it says it uh, november 21st if if that's uh if that's correct we're just in time for thanksgiving so y'all can have a nice <laughs> thanksgiving with your skinhead book so pass it around the dinner table. Indeed. Yeah, indeed. just pass it around, man. Oh, I'm sure it'll spark off just great conversation. Oh, yeah. No, no, no controversy at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Nothing controversial about that, for sure. Nah, nah. But until that book comes out, you can look forward to uh, Brian Edwards Hill's current work with uh, uh, Detective Comics and also his uh, upcoming uh, Batman and Outsiders uh, book and also his two, two what ifs you got coming out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, no, I've got, I got the X Men. What if? Yeah. Um, Batman the Outsiders is December. I think you can tell your local shop to get you a copy of that. I think that one is going to be really hard to find because it's a number one on a Batman. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to get a copy of that, 
you definitely want to, you know, let your shop know you want a copy of that because you're, it's it, collectors are going to zone into that. I think the same thing might be true for American Carnage too. Um, from what I've seen from people, is I think you might want to let people know you want to get that number one. But um, I've also got Top Cow stuff I'm doing too. I got got to plug that, so I'm still writing Cyber Force. Uh, that is uh, every month, and my Aphrodite Five mini series for Top Cow is still out there. And I've got announcements coming for um, new stuff too. Nice. Uh, uh, I might have an exciting announcement next week, in fact. So stay tuned to my Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Edward Hill. That's Brian with a Y. Uh, at Brian Edward Hill, and that's usually where I talk about all my stuff. I don't really Instagram too much, and I really don't mess with Facebook. Um, but yeah, and uh, I'm out there, man. I'm out there doing things. Indeed, indeed. We and uh, we enjoyed having you here, sir. We we definitely have to have you back though. Because you, you, it's it's clear that you there's a there there's you, there's a lot more in the pot. <laughs> that uh, and, and, you know, anytime, man. It's it it good to be here. Uh, um, I, I don't I don't get to like do nice relaxing ones, you know, a, a lot. So I like I like the ones where I can just kind of sit and hang out and and, and talk a little yang. Um, yeah, next time you come on, we'll have you. Um, you know, I don't know if you're reading anything current, but we'll have you running some comics with us, maybe. All right, on. Maybe I'll bring some bars next time. There we go. <laughs> you, you bring those beats. There you go. And I'll tell you what, you got, you got to get that canon instrumental, and then I'll bring the bars. See, that's my freestyle <laughs> joint right there. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I freestyle, too. Whenever I freestyle, I freestyle a canon. So you got to have canon, the, the, the first one, not the second one, the first one, Wheezy. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw down some bars. I'll throw down oh, some bars. Oh, my goodness. Nice. Or well, if that's so, we will we will definitely get like I said, we will definitely try to have you back on again for for sure for sure. Wow. And uh, we appreciate you coming by. We appreciate you. Shout out to Matt Wang for 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 that's up with you, by the way. Yes, long time friend of the friend of the show. So we definitely got to make that shout out real quick. Shout out to at Matt Wang ninety seven for uh, being a great friend of the show. Indeed, absolutely. So with that said, we like I said, we will let you go, and we will definitely catch you on the on the on Twitters and elsewhere. All right, man. Enjoy your night. Thanks, fellas. Thanks. Thank you. you. All right. So with that, um, I think we're going to, I think we'll probably agree, we're going to cut this short this one and do comic reviews and then skip the news and I'll do another news show after that. So Agent 70, if you want to do a ad read? Sure. So very quickly, um, our first ad of the night is for Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Blue Apron has fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron, always shipped free right to your home. And now for the listeners of the Click Nation's Comic Book Chronicles, you can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. Do it today. And I forgot to ask, uh, Tim, are you good for a little bit or you need, you need to bow out? I need to bow out. I, I got two uh, articles I need to write up before I call it a night. Okay. No about. worries. No worries. I'm going to have to hold off on the Voltron reforming sound effects for a little while longer. Yeah. You can make it. I'm still here for whatever. Yeah, 
because <laughs> Dirt's not here. So I need. Oh to, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Dirt couldn't make it tonight, so unfortunately, I got to hold off on on playing that. I've been holding off on that for a while now. I'll check in with you boys later, though. You got yeah, it. No, you know, you know, you, you know, you're always welcome back here. Yeah, it's, your, it's your show. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all holding down the fort, though, so I appreciate that. You got it, Tim. All the best to the fam, yo. All right, y'all take care. All right, man. All right, peace. Peace. All right, so... And I don't only have, like, four four, um, four books, so this ought to be nice and breezy. And I see you've got a, a few. I've got a few. We forgot to ask Tim if he had a click of the week. So we Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, let me... Yeah. Uh, you want to? You got a book you want to start off with? You got it. You got it. Uh, let's see. Is there anything we read in common this week? Uh, Maybe I don't know. I don't. Mm, doesn't look like it. I skimmed Miss Marvel, but I had missed the last issue, so I hadn't. I mean, I I have it. I just didn't read it, so I didn't look into it this week. I'm surprised you didn't read Champions number twenty four. I could, I want to, but that was the next book I was going to do, but I didn't have time. Right. To, but... So I just wanted to let you, you know, I mean, without spoiling too much. You know, it's basically a very special episode of Champions because there's a real world problem that uh, comes into play um, in the issue. And um, it causes the team to reflect on the things that their superpowers can't change and what they can't affect, what the limits of their superpowers are when they're dealing with real world problems. That's the premise of Champions 24. And it actually reminded me of a drug issue in uh, New Teen Titans when I was coming up. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure how we were going to roll tonight with our interview, but I would have mentioned this and, and found, tried to find out if uh, Brian Edward Hill remembered that issue, because that's some powerful stuff. You know, there was um, runaways and drug stuff in the mainstream uh, uh, new teen Titans book. And obviously, you know, champions right now is kind of a spiritual descendant of uh, the new teen Titans book. Right. Yeah. See, I would, I'm, I would, even if I had had a chance to read it, I would definitely say the same thing in that um, I'm a little leery when books kind of do these, do, do uh, uh, issues like this. Cause you never know how they handle mm-hmm. uh, some topics, but I know I, like I said, I, I haven't been given a, a reason not to trust uh, Zub. I don't know. So I don't know if it, how it, how it read to you. No, it read fine. Okay, so it read fine. But yeah, but like I said, usually Champions is like one on one of the top on my list. But like I said, I just didn't have a chance. I was trying to get some do some quick stuff while I, um, sure. when I had to. But um, yeah, but I'm definitely looking forward to reading that one for sure, for sure. Um, why am I saying? But that being said, um, let's see what else you have. Actually, you wait. Talk about Fantastic Four too. Sure. So it's a lot of fun. This book was a lot of fun. We actually get to see what Reed and Sue and the and the and the Future Foundation have been up to. Um, that's the that's the group of characters at the end of Secret Wars that went out to try to reestablish the multiverse, and we catch up with them. And some time has passed. Um, they've been pretty busy at work reestablishing the multiverse. And you know, when I say time has passed, you start to see Val and Franklin have kind of hit some growth spurts. It's really kind of disconcerting. Um, Dan Slott, the writer has uh, created a new villain, um, you know, to kind of counteract what they've been, what the future foundation has been doing. And, um, you know, to, to, uh, you know, as, as a counter move to what this, this new villain is doing, Mr. Fantastic calls in, uh, reinforcements and it's a, it's a pretty slick move the way he does it because it, you know, 
it's one thing to read solicits, but it's another thing to remember every single thing that you've read in the last few months as you, as you're kind of reading the, the comics that have been solicited. So um, we sort of know what's coming, but you know, with enough time passing, you sort of forget. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to see how this played out and how um, the particular call for members of the fantastic four played out. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I I think uh, which is what had me interested in reading this, which I hadn't had read this yet. But um, seeing what's going to happen next issue, because I think I just read something. It was an article or something recently about what's what's coming on in addition to uh, solicits and whatnot. So I'm kind of looking forward to see how that how that works out. Um, so I guess for me this is kind of rapid fire, but well, this is I'm gonna do uh, Miss Marvel. Okay. Number thirty-four first. So, um, you have have you read it or not? I can't remember. I skimmed it. Skimmed it. So, we basically find out the source of Kamala's powers and where they manifest from, or I guess when. Right, that's <laughs> so, pretty accurate. Yeah, the, they manifest from which I when I got to that part, I was like, okay, with all the other stuff going around with that particular you know thing i can't see how that works but uh, but hey i trust what you whistle is going i'm, I'm gonna keep reading it but I, but I was just like wait with all the other stuff going on that's where her powers come from yeah you know what let's go ahead and spoil it so go ahead and ring the bell all right so we find out that kamala's powers come from time right specifically that she's drawing mass and shunting it back through time right through uh, different iterations of herself what it seems like so that's that's an interesting take on how powers work just it's definitely never been heard of before but just like a oh okay sure so which i guess could potentially introduce some new wrinkles to her power Mm -hmm. because they've been kind of on the front since the last couple of issues because of the course of finding out and Bruno gets to see um, some timelines, or some potential timelines, including one which I don't know if you've uh, you've caught up with Exiles yet. No, but, I haven't uh, caught up yet. Yeah, but no, it's not spoiling anything because you've already because it was like right down the first couple of pages. But you see a potential, you know, one of the potential timelines mm-hmm. of Kamala and him. So which leads him to question some stuff while he's still trying to science out the nature of her powers. And how we find out about it. And of course, Shocker's still in the picture, um, causing weirdly considerable issues for uh, Kamala. But hey, you know, you underestimate people. That's kind of what happens, I guess. So, yeah, that that's Miss Marvel number four. I'm like, I'm really kind of curious as to how they're going to play with that little toy going forward. We shall see. Definitely. Um, sh- um, all right. So, let me uh, try to move things along quickly. Um, Infinity Wars number three, and I'm not really spoiling anything here, but we finally see what actually happens when these characters get warped. And, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting way of uh, remixing uh, 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 the the Thanos story of cutting the population of the universe in half with the use of the, uh, of the, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet. And Gamora has her own interpretation of this. So um, I just have to say that I hope 
there's some people out there that have fun reading the various limited series that are going to come out of these mashup characters. I'm probably going to stick, stick, you know, stick it out and just stick to the main series from, from here on in. Yeah. I need to catch up with infinity wars and see what all this mess about. Cause I am slightly curious about a couple of those, uh, mashup ones, but they still seem kind of weird. Oh, now it's it. Um, but so that being the case, we will move on to I will put out uh, Exiles number eight since we're kind of on it. Um, so the, the team gets captured by some rogue watchers and they have to go on trial. And well, they don't have to, but they get put on trial. Uh, I mean, there's really not much to this this issue outside of the fact that that and they're just basically it's almost like a recap or, or, or a backstory for each member of the team uh, before some action actually ends up happening at the end of the, the um at the end of the issue but that's the, the crux of the story is like okay they they got caught by these watchers and forced to be told their backstory their individuals backstories and you know most of them are compliant and one or two aren't but that's that's that and I'm sitting here thinking like before which you know like you could say like these are watchers you would think they would know all the stuff together but you know you got to Got a big story how you want it, so I'm assuming it's going to lead somewhere. But that's the crux of it. So outside of that, there was some those little action at the end that um that they that they get into. And that's about it. Um let's see. And I guess I'll go ahead and do well, I guess since we kind of talked about it, Titans twenty five. Um this was an anniversary issue or anything, because I don't remember it saying it, but it was definitely bigger because it was a bigger price. Um, so we have the team of Titans led by Nightwing and they're basically end up having to split up in, into three groups to take care of, uh, these events that are happening simultaneously. But what comes to find out that they're kind of sort of connected, uh, in, in a way, because we have the, the blood brothers cult in the background messing with some technology that is supposed to, um, siphon off energy of the source wall because they're the ones that are pretty much first responders for that kind of stuff. And on the three different fronts that, you know, the uh, the team have to fight. And they're also still fighting with the fact that, well, they're not even fighting for the fact that they don't remember that Raven is not the Raven that you we know based on what happened last issue. So there is that that, uh, that they still don't know about, but, you know, the audience does because she's basically saying that her, her power is not working with kind of makes sense because it's not actually her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other side, which is actually kind of fun, was um, you have the, the the constant arguments with um, Nightwing and Mitch Martian, who were kind of battling each other for, you know, because Mitch Martian is supposed to be on the team as a liaison. Nightwing is not caring for it because, you know, he feels like they're being made, uh, babysat or, you know, that she's basically nursemaid. And almost kind of a harkens back to, like, Young Justice, uh, the TV show kind of situation, if if you think about it, but then they kind of hash out their their issues, and we also find out that um, negative energy <laughs> causes more aggressive responses from the source wall energy that um, that people that manifest in the people. So they have to actually try to be nice to each other in the process of all this, and those two in particular end up running through a bunch of TV shows and stuff like that. So that part's kind of fun while they're working out the issues. So it's a pretty decent read. And I think um, this, it is a double size issue. It, it was good. Uh, you want to throw out something? Uh, finish off with your other book. Okay, sure. I'll do that. Uh, Star Trek Next Generation Terror Incognita number three. 
so this is just basically an episode. Well, I guess you could say it's a continuum episode, but it's basically an episode of uh, TNG. There's no real mirror stuff outside of the fact that uh, Mirror Barkley is still in Prime Universe and he's taken over for a regular Barkley. But and the only thing he's done was just, you know, what he's done in this in this issue, you know, um, was nothing noticeably bad. They just people noticed that it's so like, wow, Barkley's a little bit different than what he normally is. But you know, they're thinking they're just thinking. Oh, it's like you know, given enough time, he kind of came out of a shell and this and that and the other. When actually, it's Mirror Barkley. So he was just asked to do this thing for Dr. Crusher to uh, help with this patient who got injured last issue, um, last issue. And, um, you know, that was pretty much his part about it. The rest of it is basically um, this doctor who's Vulcan um, is plays an integral part about it because she ends up being the one who takes the doctor, I mean, the, the person, the, the ambassador's, soul in a Vulcan ritual that died this um that died this issue and she ends up helping with the negotiations uh thanks to Picard because at first she didn't want to do it but then she you know Picard talked to her and was like okay if I would do it I'll do it and, but in the midst of it she's also flashing back to her own childhood when her dad died and something similar kind of happened with the transfer all rights of a, of a Vulcan soul. So it was pretty much a cut and dry, basically, you know, uh, issue with that. But it was still decent. Where this book is going, I'm not even sure, but it's still a pretty decent read for fans of um, Star Trek Next Generation. You know, nothing real special happened to it outside of that, but hopefully something comes out of it. Okay. That's all of my books. Alrighty, so it'll be my turn to run uh, Rapid Fire Solo. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. So, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number five. This was an interesting way for Spencer to finish his opening arc, uh, reestablishing what makes Spider-Man the flagship hero of the Marvel Universe. We actually see his use of Boomerang as a plot device come into play. Daredevil number 608. Matt Murdock makes a truly head-scratching decision that took me right out of the story. I'm pretty sure Charles Soule has an interesting arc for the character of Mike Murdock. Um, and uh, Mech Cadet U number 12. This is the fun finale to the series written by Greg Pak, Speak of the Devil. Um, we are definitely, it, this is going to be definitely worth rereading as a collected edition. This isn't, maybe not like super young kid friendly, but definitely tween and up. I think we'll be able to read this and enjoy it um, as, an, as, a, um, as a complete arc of a story. So that Oh, those are the rest of my books for this week. Nice. I uh, guess we'll do uh, clicks of the week. Here we go. And we already have Tim's who who gave us his, and that being uh, Amazing Spider-Man number five. He didn't have any notes with it, but he just passed that along. Alrighty. I will go with, I liked Amazing uh, Number 5. There were some quirky uh, parts to that story. But I think what I enjoyed reading the most this week, I did like Champions Number 24, but I'm going to go with Fantastic Four Number 2. As the resident Fantastic Four fan, that's not that much of a surprise. (laughs) There you go. Uh, And for myself, I don't know, kind of like what Tim said is, so far, nothing's really... Stood out. I mean, Miss Marvel's always 
pretty good. So, but um, I don't know. That whole time thing is kind of was like, eh, let's, eh, all right, sure. We'll see where it goes. Um, shoot. I guess I will go with, you know what? I'll go with Ms. Marvel. Sure. All righty. Because it's all a. Uh, and with that, um, one more Ed Reed, please, sir. Um, I did have one bit of news that I wanted to. Oh, right. Well, that's fine. We can get we can get through it. Before but um... we, uh, before we kind of wrap, because I figure if we're doing our second ad read, we're going to close the show. So, mm-hmm. um, just one moment, uh, because because this is a uh, uh, um, not time is of the essence, but definitely trying to keep it timely. This Absolutely. right this weekend. Um, is the marks the opening of um, an art exhibition by Ignatz Award-nominated artist Yumi Saka, Sakugawa. Um, she's going to be signing her new book, Fashion Forecasts, and opening an art installation at Pearl River Mart at, uh, in New York City this Saturday, September 15th. Um, she's a comic book artist and author, and she's going to share her dreamy, enlightening, and playful vision of a future in which everyday fashion is spiritual, sustainable, and influenced by different Asian and Asian American histories, cultures, and traditions. Uh, plus, she's going to be on hand to sign copies of uh, her newest book, Fashion Forecasts. This is free and open to the public, and the exhibition is curated by the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center. So I wanted to make sure I got that in. Um I'll be tweeting out details on this in a moment. I'll make sure to uh, tweet it out again tomorrow in advance of the Saturday opening. And with that, I'm going to move on to our last ad read of the night. Our last ad read of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From Rosé to Cabernet to Torrente, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Ever try an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your tastes and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Click Nation's Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink. That's cspn.us forward slash w-i-n-c. Wink wines through CSPN. Do it today. And with that, we come to the end of the show. Like I said earlier, um, stay tuned to well to, to the feed and to Twitter and all that because there will probably be another shorter show uh, speaking about the news in the next couple of days. Uh, but check out the my Twitter or our Twitter for that when it comes out. But until then, we want to thank each and every one of you guys for and girls for coming out, checking us out. Thank you again to Brian and Rick Hill. For, uh, for 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 coming and talking with us, that was a that was a that was pretty cool. And like I said, we, we're definitely gonna have to try to to get him back home here again. 
Uh, but until the next show or and or next week, um, agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. Come to check out his stuff there. Uh, PCN underscore dirt uh, on Twitter, pop culture net on Twitter, pop culture network.com. I need comics.com for him. Uh, Tim D O G G nine eight on Twitter, the click nation on Twitter, CB cron on Twitter, uh, the click nation.com also, and go check him out on CBR where he's, uh, where he's writing up some goodness. He's working on it right now. No, right. Busting it up. Um, and for myself, oh, I forgot to give, uh, again, Brian Edward Hill on Twitter. You can go check him out there. Uh, Instagram, Brian Edward Hill. You can also go check out, uh, Google the, the Hill administration YouTube, uh, for his YouTube channel. That is Brian with a Y. Brian with a Y. Exactly. So, uh, and, or you can follow him on Twitter. I'm pretty sure he, um, he, um, and actually I do know that he, um, I think he does tweet out, uh, links to the, some of that stuff. When uh, when he does them, uh, but for myself, Rodicat at Twitter on Twitter rather R O D D Y K A T no underscore like the, some of these other gents news nerds need on Twitter. Um, there's the news nerds need Reddit. There's uh, CB Caps on Instagram, and you go check me out at all of that. Oh, um, thank you. Um, for all y'all playing Spider Man. I salute you. I'm also playing Spider-Man. It's great. It's good. We'll probably get into that next week. Uh, uh, I may try to stream some on, on my Twitch channel. Um, but Rodicat, that's, that's there too. We'll see about that. I'm not sure. But you can find this podcast on Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Um, also, the, uh, the Coastal of the SoundCloud uh, channel. Go check all that out there. But you can definitely also find this podcast at CSPN uh, Podcast Network, the CSPN.us, where this show and a bunch of other great shows uh, reside. And you can also go to shop.cspn.us, go over there and get some merch, help us to show and uh, this, for this show and other shows on the network, and you know, kind of help us help um, keep this keep this boat afloating. So again, check out for the Twitter for the other new show, or we may just put it to next week. I don't know. We'll see. But if I do it, it'll be in the next couple of days. Regardless, thank you guys for coming out to this here exciting episode of The Cumber Chronicles. And while I put this thing in action, uh, this is the Click Nation's Cumber Chronicles, and we are out. Hey! Good evening, friend. Would you believe it? It's Dr. Doom. What's on your evil mind? Oh, you insulting tongue and mock my words well. How about this woman that you are really hired?